Welcome to The Counter Ruck, a brand new rugby podcast brought to you by the Irish Times. My name is Nathan Johns. This podcast is sponsored by Nifty Business, the fleet management specialists. Our thanks to them. You can find out more about what they offer at niftybusiness.ie. Later on, we'll be hearing from Noah McNamara, the backs coach at Bordeaux working with a number of France's squad, notably Maxime Lucou, the man widely expected to replace Antoine Dupont in the French scrum half jersey. But for now, I'm joined by former Ireland international and current Irish Times columnist, Gordon Darcy. Hi, Gordon. Good morning. And Irish Times rugby writer, John O'Sullivan. Good morning. It's a bit of an auspicious day for the history of Irish rugby, John. we got our our first ever Irish Times rugby podcast over the line. I think the listeners will be the judge of that. But yes, um, uh, it's nice to be here and, and hopefully um, people will enjoy this. Gordon, obviously we're here to discuss Friday night. In many ways, it's the final that never was for the World Cup. It's the people's final, I suppose. Everyone was looking forward to a potential France-Ireland showdown in, in Paris a few months ago. It didn't happen. We're getting it in Marseille on Friday night to open the Six Nations. What are your initial thoughts as we sit here on, on Monday morning of Match Week? Well, obviously we're here to preview the Six Nations and down in Marseille, but we really have to have to stop and applaud the uh, the women's sevens team. History made! An extraordinary moment for Irish rugby! The champions of HSBC Sevens Perth, Ireland! Yeah, fantastic. Like, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. I mean, when you think it's a it's Olympic year, uh, Paris is coming up to beat the uh, reigning uh, World Series champions at home, basically, and to to kind of win a first ever uh, World Series event. Front I mean, page, the Irish Times as well. Front page, and deservedly so. Uh, you know, there's a as Lucy Mulhall said afterwards, there's a lot of them have been soldiering for a long time to to get to this peak, if you like, and hopefully it continues and all the way to Paris and the Olympics, and it would be great. And a word too for the men who finished third, won a bronze medal, beat Fiji in the third place playoff. So yeah, what yeah. a fantastic but were start! Full value for it as well, which is great. Fantastic start to the week. Hopefully, it will be continued all the way to Friday night in Marseille. Like there was almost a, like a little bit of rugby fatigue after the after the World Cup um, because there was such anticipation and then the two teams you kind of wanted to be in the knockout stages just weren't there. Um, so kind of took a little bit um, took a little bit of time to get a bit of interest back into rugby and the opening of the Champions Cup was good. Uh, but I suppose it, it's really since the new year it's been kind of building up towards this and i got to say I'm really looking forward to it. Um, gone down Friday morning uh, doing commentary, uh, co-coms, and I'm actually really, really excited about this match. I think it's an absolute belter of a of a of an opener to the Six Nations. Probably the biggest test of both coaching tickets, obviously since the World Cup, since their exit. But I think probably over their kind of last four to six years, this is the this is the biggest test of uh, both of the coaching tickets. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they how they come off it. Ireland have an interesting record, shall we say, coming off the back of of World Cups and more often than not, as has been really well documented, World Cup disappointments. Uh, I mentioned this stat to you before we recorded, Gordon, and you you very helpfully helpfully pointed out, well, actually, in 2004, you did finish second only to a Grand Slam winning France. But since then, every World Cup since the 2003 World Cup, the Six Nations following the next year, Ireland have never finished higher than third. There is a problem with World Cup hangovers, it looks like. Why do you think that is, and do you expect that to change this time around? Yeah, as long as you leave out the one where we did well. That's, <laughs> that's right. And obviously, the one, I, the one I played in. So. <laughs> and this is Horgan back inside. He's a real bulldozer. And the 
try is scored for Gordon Darcy. His first try for his country in a match that may well end in the triple crown. Um, I think Ireland are in a better position going through and there's consistency of coaching as well. I think one of the things that you look at uh, with those three World Cups where things haven't gone well, there's usually been a change in coaching. Either it was the end of a coach's life cycle or there was a new one coming in. And I think there's kind of a consistency coming through here, which I think should mitigate a lot of that. There's a consistency of selection in this Six Nations squad, John. Obviously, there's a significant hole at 10, which I'm sure we'll get onto at some point with with Johnny Sexton retiring. But by and large, again, we were just saying that there's no uncapped players in this squad. Pretty much all of the players, bar one or two, were involved in the wider World Cup squad before it started getting trimmed down over the course of the summer. Andy Farrell is is being consistent here, but that said, there are still a handful of of areas where we're looking at it for Friday night selection-wise, not 100% sure which way he's going to go. Well, I think, yeah, if you look at it, uh, Ireland won 16 of 17 test matches prior to their defeat to New Zealand in the World Cup. So he has an idea of his best players. You would argue that not a lot has been done to change that pecking order in most positions and that that is reflected in the squad that he's selected for the Six Nations. You'd also look at that in terms of leadership, where he's gone with Peter O'Mahony, a tried and trusted and respected leader amongst the group. So a lot of people like the shiny new things, and there will be a a level of disappointment that you don't have shiny new things in this squad, and the critics will say that uh, that it's conservative. But if you look at the players and their performance levels, and you ask yourself, well, who deserves to be in the squad that's not in the squad? It would be a very short list, and you can you can always argue the point over two or three selections. But by and large, he is reflected form. He did a lot of the heavy lifting for his World Cup squad, the World Cup just gone, by giving players debuts two years ago or two and a half, three years ago. So it's the start of a new cycle. But he's not thinking of that. He's thinking of defending the Six Nations tournament in which they're Grand Slam champions. And that's his priority. And you have to also look at the players that you need or the players who can thrive in what will be a, a very uh, hostile and volatile atmosphere in Marseille. There's kind of the same overlay in the way we approach rugby in Ireland in that the Six Nations is what pays, like the international rugby is what pays the majority of the bills and then it trickles down and we have that lovely system that feeds up to the to the national team. But we don't have the luxury. We never have had the luxury of thinking two, three years out. We have tried it at various times and in different guises, but ultimately it always comes down, we have to win, we have to be competitive in the Six Nations every year. And this is reflective of that. There really isn't anybody challenging the status quo at a provincial level. And I think... Andy Farrell and the coaching team have given players game time or at least training time and they haven't done enough to shift their uh, view on on that player. I'd say Robert Balagoon is a perfect example. Injuries in the back three are not considered. So, you know, whatever they're seeing, you know, week in, week out, it's just obviously not enough to get him in. And he's the guy you could probably look at and go, he's got the absolute high-end pace that could and would trouble any international uh, defences. 
but just hasn't done enough to shift the the coach's opinion on it. I think that's probably you know there could be three or four players, five or six maybe that you could you could fit into that bracket. So ultimately, you're kind of beholden to what's coming through at a, at a provincial level. One name that is probably worth mentioning that has forced his way in, and it's, it's unfortunate that he got injured when he did. Is is Tom Ahern obviously was was playing very well for, for Munster in that sixth jersey, um, got a head injury against Northampton. Meant Keen Prendergast came into the squad. He was a training player rather than a, a fully fledged squad member. So it remains to be seen whether he'll get he'll come back in when he recovers from his head injury. Um, but I think yeah, but like you said, the list is 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 very short of players like that who have who've taken that step. While we're on the subject of of wings, I want you both to give me who starts in the fourteen jersey ahead of Hansen. Obviously, O'Brien probably would have. He's injured. We're assuming James Lowe has shown in the two Champions Cup matches recently that he's back to full fitness. He'll start on the left wing. Hugo Keenan, a fullback, who's in that 14 jersey? I think it'll be Calvin Nash. Uh, I think he's probably done enough in Munster's games to to warrant a, a, um, a go. He's been consistently good for Munster. When you watch him play, you just look at a player who's maximising his talent. You look at a player who understands his role. You look at a player who has played in other positions. And you look at a player who's delivering on a consistent basis. Uh, and I think for all of those reasons, I think he will be given an opportunity. Obviously, the discussion point is is whether Jordan Larmer, who's been there before, gets another opportunity or whether they, you know, there has been talk of, of moving Gary Ringrose out to the wing and playing uh, Bundy Aki and Robbie Henshaw as a, a midfield partnership. But it would be unlikely, I think, for Andy Farrell to look at two fixes to one problem. And when I say problem, to one area of the team where you're picking a player. So for me, I think he will pick Calvin Nash. Yeah, Calvin Nash. Jordan is too too heavy on one side of the ball. Brilliant going forward, but probably not as uh, not as consistent in the air and defending. And like Quinn Stockdale, you know, was was tentative green shoots. And then, obviously, not a great last uh, performance, and would have to shift to the right wing. You know, has he ever played there before? So the only out and out right winger in the squad is Calvin Nash. So it makes makes sense that he would go, and he had a pretty good outing um, on the road down in Toulon. Just deserves a shot. I agree on the Larmer point. I think while he's probably you know he's crossed more for Leinster this season, he looks to be back in form that way. I think he's not he's not the type of messy winger that an Andy Farrell type likes. The coming in off his wing, getting involved, the James Lowe, Mac Hansen type. I would argue Nash isn't necessarily either, which is the only reason in the back of my mind there is the will he just, for a big game against France, play ring rows in the wing because he'll be more likely to come in and, and get involved. But I probably would agree it's most likely to be Nash, but there is just that nagging... i got to say, if you if you shift Gary ring rows out to the wing, just send the three wingers you have home. <laughs> like, <laughs> there, no, there is that, and that's a very good point. There is that message there that Absolutely, yeah. you have to trust. So, Calvin Nash went down on the Emerging Ireland tour, and I know that they were the, the management team, were impressed, coaching team, were impressed by him down there. And he took his opportunity, and it's all about having the aptitude as well as the talent when you get opportunities. And, and Gordon spoke about Rob Balakun before. If you look at, at the raw material there as a player, the top end pace, good aerially. Very, you know, good footwork, all that sort of stuff, then there's something else that isn't there that the coaching team feel that that is lacking currently in his game. And Not, that has been communicated to him by his lack of selection. Correct. So in those circumstances, you look at it and you say, Calvin Nash has probably been the most consistent over a period. If you want to use a cliche, is the next cab off the rank. And why would you make two changes to, to find a solution to uh, a selection issue? So that sounds like from your point of view, pretty open and shut. 
is Crowley at 10 fall into that category as well? Definitely. Without a shadow of a doubt, he'll be, he'll be the choice of 10. Sounds like, I think before the Six, before the six Nations squad was announced, I think there were a few calls for someone like Ryan Baird to be promoted into the starting team. I suspect the Omani captaincy decision means that won't happen. Omani will start at six. The other area then is second row. Hang on, before we go into second row, I think the, the ca- so the Peter Romani thing, I think, is also linked to the Jack Crowley thing and into uh, having Peter Romani as captain is really important for me. So you do need a central figure in that. It And, you know, sometimes people can say the captaincy thing has been, you know, maybe a little bit diluted in the importance of it. It actually is important in the context of the wider squad and how they, you know, how they gel together. There does need to be that one person, that alpha male, that person who everybody looks to. I don't think there is another captain, leader, a go-to person in that squad at the moment. I think they can they can find that over the next 12, 24 months. But if you're going to have Jack Crowley in there, he needs to focus on being a number 10. And if that's Kieran Frawley or if it was Harry Byrne, whoever is in there, they need to focus on being the number 10. And you need somebody like Peter Romani who is thinking and feeling the way through the game. So you can, that little, even though they're not particularly young players, they're young on experience. So now you you have to put somebody like Peter Romani in beside a young 10 like that, that you're you're going, we need you to steer the steer the ship. So I think that's, that for me fits and looks quite natural. Well, that's a really good point as well on the leadership point and equally the point about they're good giving somebody six to 12 months to, to step up, to be that leadership figure, whether it's Gary Ringrose, whether it's James Ryan, whoever it is, because it's, as things stand, Peter Romani doesn't have a contract for next season and he doesn't know where he's playing his rugby. And if he is playing in Ireland, who's paying the cheque, whether it's the RFU, Munster or both. So, yeah, somebody might have to step up within six months. I think it's not a conscious thought. I think, like, Peter Romani won't go to bed on Thursday night wondering how Friday's going to go or how he's going to captain the team. He's surrounded by senior players and they have that senior leadership group, but he's got that. He's been there. He's done it. He's captain teams. It's very important that it, it doesn't become a conscious thought. Or a, when I say a conscious thought, it, it's important that you're comfortable with the role. He's been comfortable with the role. He's captain teams all the way up. He's captained Ireland. He's captained the Lions. He understands the dynamic. He's very much, uh, you know, kind of do as I do as much as do as I say. And Gordon's point about Jack Crowley is that because he plays with him and understands him and has got to see him develop over the last 18 months, two years, he'll understand body language wise whether Jack, you know, how Jack is feeling during a game whether it's time will we go to the corner will we take a shot at goal all those things are really important that you're you have the experience of captaincy to understand when you have a a less experienced player we'll say which Jack is in that in test environment that you understand you can look at him and because if you ask somebody something they'll often tell you what you want to hear but if you've experienced as a captain you look at somebody you look at the body language you see you, you you understand how they're feeling that makes a huge difference. You don't have to ask the question. Yeah, like every it, it ebbs and flows in every player's career. Um, so there's natural leaders that, and there's manufacturers leaders and there's captains and things like that. Right, so Paul O'Connell was always the guy that, just a natural leader right the way through from, you know, we played underage and everything uh, com- coming through. But he knew what to, what to do and what to say at various different times. bit that Peter does is, he, he accepts that, I suppose, that role where if things aren't going perfectly on Friday night, which they're not going to go perfectly, that's when he 
either says something or does something and that might be a case of going off the uh, having the confidence to go off what the game sheet says and saying we're going to keep it tight or we're going to move to a kicking game if he sees Jack or whoever's in the in the position just stutter a tiny bit that's when it's the arm around the shoulder. That's the kind of intangible role that the, the captaincy plays, which is which is really important. So by Jack Rowley being in that environment with Peter, and he talked about um, over the weekend when he was Johnny Sexton's T-boy, that he was soaking up all those, you know, two minutes while he was on the pitch in the test environment that he was there. So all those, he's watching Sexton, spending time with him, trying to draw on all his experience so that when it comes to him that he gets, you know, he has all these little moments maybe processed in the head and now has that, you know, not a comfort blanket, but has that experience of a warrior and a captain on the pitch as well. Does a lack of experience, given that we've just talked about the importance of it with Omani in that back row, does that mean, despite his good run of form, someone like a Joe McCarthy has not quite forced his way into a starting role? I mean, I personally would look at what he did in France against La Rochelle, look at what he did against Leicester, against one of the English second rows in, in Oli Chesson, and go, I think he's that type of player who he's, he's not quite has to be in the team, but I personally would think he's, he's not far off. You can't coach a guy to be big and to be strong. <laughs> exactly. And to be, what did Mike Ross describe him as? He's a big, ignorant lad. I think you will be past... He is past the impact player role now for me. I think he is he's a, he is an 80-minute wrecking ball. And I, I don't know how you make that work. I think we would have less chance of winning if he's an impact player on the bench. I, yeah, no, I'd take a slightly different view. I think that he is, I, I, I love him. I love the way he plays the game. And I think he adds massive value. But he is still learning on the discipline side of things, not to concede penalties. And on Friday night in Marseille, in that atmosphere, you have to be whiter than white in terms of your, you know, when to leave it, when not to go in, when, you know, you have to make good decisions, basically. What's he been like in his last two games? He's been good discipline-wise. I think that is potential perception. I think if you take over his, say, 20 games or 30 games that he has, there would definitely be quite a high penalty count there. But I think in the last post-World Cup, I think he has been better. Perception is vitally important because it depends it, it, if that perception is, share, is shared by the gentleman with the, with the whistle. I mean, we talk about perception with scrums a lot as well and how, for example, Andrew Porter is developing a little bit of a re- reputation at, at scrum time and there's a referee perception. We know there's a referee perception around him and giving away penalties. I look at it and I think it's not like you don't look at Joe McCarthy in isolation or the decision to select him or not select him in isolation. You look at the alternatives or the players who are in contention. I think James Ryan is back approaching his best form. I think he's played his way onto the team and I think Tyg Byrne is first choice of, of the locks. If you look at his performances this year for Munster, I think if you look at the work that he does in the breakdown and you think about how you want to stop France, like the other thing with France is you've got to slow down their breakdown ball. You've well, that's got where Tyg Byrne comes into it. Exactly. And he's so good. And his his decision making in that environment is so good at knowing when to go for the poach and when to stay off. A lot of the time he gets that right. That's very important. So looking at the gameplay, if you like, from Marseille on Friday night, I think it's James Ryan and Tyg Byrne in the second row. That would be what with, I with, I believe will happen. With McCarthy on the bench. With, with, yeah, it's tough. Henderson, like, Henderson misses out. Yeah, Ian Henderson misses out. We're also looking at, I think, also to point out, we're looking at the 20 jersey as well here. 
So in whatever way you decide on the three second rows that we've mentioned, whatever variation on those who starts and who's on the bench, you're also looking at the 20 jersey and that's going to be pretty competitive. It's Ryan Baird shirt, you know? As opposed to, I, I, I put, I'd have, have him of, ahead of Cody. Yeah, you've a lot of players that start playing in the same positions now. Yeah. You know, you've an awful lot of cover for six then. Um, you've got three players you could technically cover six. Um, so, it, like, it, it would be very interesting to see well, that then that then that's the decision of do you go best player available or do you go cover I, I, strategically how many who covers as many positions as possible? Yeah, but it comes into who's well, what way you well, want to I play think the, you're looking at like you're you're looking at Jack Conan. I mean it's Jack Conan or Ryan Baird. So you're looking at whether you want to cover eight, whether you've enough, you can move Tig uh Tig Burn to six and you can bring in another second row and whether you need a, a back row specialist or a number eight, if you like. Uh, so that's the decision for Andy Farrell and he will decide. There's no doubt that Ryan Baird has been absolutely superb, that he's moderated or, or, or changed his game a little bit to do a, to do some of the grunt work. He chases uh, kickoffs better than anybody else. He gets up on the air. He's a real threat on opposition ball. He's he, unpredictable as well. Yeah, and he's a superb athlete. That's he's, the other thing, he's a superb athlete. The other thing he's massively worked on is his, his defensive line out has been excellent yeah, in, yeah. in recent weeks yeah. uh, for Downstairs. They didn't go very well when he called the line out against San Francisco. A few, few issues there, but defensively he's been really, really good, I think. Right, um, we're going to talk about France after the break when we've got Noel McNamara, uh, attack coach at Bordeaux, coming on. But just very quickly before we do that is the six is this six nations following the pattern of the previous couple where it tends to look like it's going to be a two horse race between France and Ireland and, and the winner on Friday night is the favorite for the championship or do you think for example Ireland having to go to Twickenham does that is that a bigger worry than it has been in previous years yeah I'm deciding now will I just get in my own way and be <laughs> um yeah it's Borthwick is like they've picked a squad you kind of going they should be dangerous um, it's just a question of will they actually find a way to get through to the true to the players um, because you know if they can if they continue with the kind of percentage rugby that Borthwick has done uh, either with Leicester and with England I think the game has moved on considerably from that. Um, but uh, going to England is never easy. Um, I think you get sometimes you get them at a, at a at a time, a week time, or transitional time, and you can you know get well, a look victory. At the ma- look at the match last year in, the, in Dublin. Like it took a sending off to change the course of the game. So you know it's when you look at it from that perspective, it wasn't as if Ireland were absolutely rampant against England. Yeah, but that's, the, that's that reductive yeah, type of rugby that England and then were they playing. will make it difficult. Like every collision point, scrum, every chance they get, they'll make it difficult. They're big men and they have some talent in the back line. Injuries. That's round four of the Six Nations, so it's a long way down the road. You're kind of saying to yourself, it'll be interesting to see how the teams line out. That will inform you a little bit better. In a general sense, England have play. England have beef up front, and they have players if they pick the right team and get it right in terms of uh, the way they play the game. If you look at the others, Ireland will be happy. It's Italy, Scotland, Wales. The other thing at home. with England, though, is they have halfbacks that are very comfortable switching to a kicking game. So they can yeah. run the ball if they get. So like rugby is essentially simple. You get good, quick ball over the gain line. It's really hard to defend against. Um, but when you're shifting to that kicking game, not everybody. We're not great at the kicking game uh, with Ireland. We don't have a particularly good kicking game anymore. 
um, were okay, but wouldn't be a strong point. Right then. Uh, in a sentence or two, give me a, pr- uh, a prediction for Friday night and why. I'm just going to stick my finger out the, the window and see what the weather is. Um, I would say uh, Ireland are the more settled team. Uh, a lot will depend on how Ireland try and manage the game. If they can get the same sort of quality of ruck ball, then Ireland have a chance to beat France in Marseille. If the French slow down Ireland ball, then I think that they have the capacity to cause problems for Ireland at the breakdown, for forcing Ireland into kicking. And if Ireland kick loosely, then France are going to uh, to be in clover, as they would say. France will win. I, I don't think Ireland will be too close on it. Um, I don't think that's an issue. What we will see from Ireland is uh, enough to still challenge for the Six Nations. But I think there's just there's such a vacuum uh, created by players that have... Uh, by a player that's that stood down. I think this will be, you know, a bridge too far for them. I think probably we will see enough from Ireland to go, you know, the future's bright. There'll be good attacking aspects, but I just think away, down in Marseille, new stadium, all that I think will just France will just be a little bit too either too powerful or just too accurate for us. I think we'll score tries, we'll be competitive, but ultimately we'll fade away. I don't I don't see that being a big issue because There'll be enough from it for us to build on to into Italy with a view to going into uh, Twickenham and looking to get a win on the road. I'm going to change my mind, Ireland. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, that's somewhat positive note. Uh, we're going to take a break. Afterwards, we'll be talking to today's guest, Noel McNamara, the Clare man, coaching at Bordeaux, the top 14 side, which is all but certain to provide the starting halfbacks for France in Friday's Six Nations opener. Welcome back to The Counter Rock with me, Nathan Johns. Gordon has left, but John O'Sullivan is still here. A reminder that if you want to get in touch with any questions or topic suggestions for future episodes, please drop us an email at rugbypod at irishtimes.com. Now, as you heard at the start of today's episode, our guest is Noel McNamara, currently the attack coach at Top 14 side Bordeaux Beg. Noel has an extensive rugby CV, really, having coached in Glenstall Abbey and Clongos in Ireland. He progressed onto the Leinster Academy and was the Ireland under-20s head coach, winning a Grand Slam in 2019. And of course, given that timeline, he's worked with quite a few members of the current senior squad going into this Six Nations. Noel then progressed onto Durban, where he coached the Sharks in the URC. And now, of course, he is with Bordeaux, who are flying high, third in the top 14, and were arguably one of the teams of the pool stages of the Champions Cup. The reason why we want to talk to Noel today is because, well, being with Bordeaux, he's got six members of his backline in the current French squad ahead of Friday night's Six Nations opener. But arguably more importantly, he has coached extensively the man we think who is going to replace Antoine Dupont in the French backline, Maxime Lucou. Noel, you did an interview with John a couple of months ago and the takeaway line for me actually was you said you tell your players to make their passion your obsession. You clearly are both passionate and obsessive about rugby, but are you so to the extent that you actually managed to catch your old school Clongos in their defeat to Belvedere yesterday in the Senior Cup? Uh, no, no, I didn't. Uh, I didn't see the defeat. Um, unfortunately, I, I did. Uh, yeah, I did keep uh, abreast of uh, of the result, all right. And uh, 
Yeah, so it was some uh, some late drama, an incredible conversion from the left hand side by uh, yeah by the Belvedere number twelve. But obviously uh, disappointed for the boys and the people involved, but uh, equally know that they will have taken an awful lot from uh, from the experience. So yeah, not not enough to. Um, it was my daughter's tenth birthday yesterday, so I couldn't uh, I couldn't miss that for uh, for a schools cup game that I'm not involved in. That's fair enough. Could you um, just in relation to obviously Friday night's match between France and Ireland in Marseille? Um, you have six players in the backline, in the French backline, in the extended squad. Uh, one of those is Maxime Lucou. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about what he's like as a person? Just give us an insight into him. He's obviously replacing Antoine Dupont. Uh, he's done so before when Dupont was injured. But uh, what he's like as a person and a character? You know, the thing that's always said about Maxime is he's not Anton Dupont. And uh, I think that's a pretty straightforward statement. I don't think anybody is. In terms of Maxime, the person, he, he's an incredible person. He's been absolutely fantastic for us. And obviously, it's been a short period that I've been involved um, involved with him. Um, you know, initially, when I started here, he was obviously away at the World Cup with France. Uh, he returned back. He was appointed uh, as uh, as a captain this season at Bordeaux and has done an absolutely fantastic job in, in that role. And you know, really, he's just an outstanding rugby player. It can't be said, well, he's, he's not the point, but he's an outstanding rugby player in his own right, you know, in terms of his, his understanding of the game, his leadership skills, his, his core skills are absolutely fantastic. And he's probably been one of the main drivers of, of uh, the team over the last number of weeks and, and the run of, uh, of games where, yeah, where, where, where we've been um, pretty successful. So I think in terms of, of his selection, I think it's a no-brainer. You know, I would expect to see him and, and Matthew Jellybear at, at, uh, at 9 and 10 on on, uh, on Friday night and for the, the general public that maybe are expecting to see Anton Depaul that's obviously not what you will see but what you will see is an outstanding rugby player who uh, you know will, will run the game in, in his own way uh, manages the game really really well He's an absolutely fantastic kicker off both feet, which, you know, again, is something that's taken for granted over here in France, but it's not necessarily something that everybody can do. They, they talk here a little bit about the, the number of lines that, uh, that they kick across. Uh, you know, so if you're inside the 22, if you can cross the 22, cross the 10, cross the halfway and, and cross the sideline, then you've crossed four lines. Well, the number of times that uh, Maxim Luca will cross four lines off both feet is, is absolutely incredible. I think we saw as well, we, we played Clermont uh, away just... Um, yeah, just before the resumption of, of, of Europe. And, and in that game, he demonstrated some other sides of his game as well. You know, there was some transition opportunities in, in uh, early in the game inside our own half where he saw the space and he was able to take it as well. So ultimately, we're talking about a player who, who's probably in his prime, who, who has maybe uh, lived a little bit in, in the shadow of Dupont, but is in his own right is an absolutely outstanding rugby player. You, you say he's not Dupont, which obviously goes without saying, but the two things you talked about there, kicking off both feet and uh, transition and, and support play, and I actually watched that, that Claremont game and it was notable how Dupont-like Maxime was with his support lines and how he, he both scored up tries and finished off line breaks and, and created extra opportunities for players with that, with that type of plays. When you're talking about two-footed kicking and, and support lines, you're not, not talking about a player like Dupont. Because Dupont has the ability to do things that, you know, physically, there's obviously been some incredible moments, not least that, that one with, uh, with Matt Hansen. And, and uh, you know, he regularly does that week in, week out. Keenan for Hansen. Where's the ball going to finish up? In the hands oh, of that is an unbelievable tackle. Oh, the defence by France is beyond heroic. He has a tendency to... 
yeah, Dupont to force the game, I guess, um, and and bend it a little bit to his own uh, to his own will. So I think that's probably the major difference. I, I think with with how France play, and it's probably been well documented at this stage in 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 terms of you know they are a team that that plays out of possession quite a lot. They are a team that tends to, if we say that Ireland are a possession team that like to keep the ball and and, and like to to force the defence into making decisions. France are probably the opposite of that. So they tend to rely on on um, yeah on on, on moments uh, and and yeah trying to make something happen quickly and, and that obviously has been one of the real strengths of uh, Dupont over the course of the last number of years with, with both Toulouse and with France so um, I, I think it, it will be different with uh, with Maxime I, I don't think he will try and, and be Dupont I think he will play his own game but you're absolutely right he, he has some uh, some similar strengths I think his overall game is incredibly rounded. Defensively, very, very strong. Very, very strong defensive brain. Organisation-wise, very, very good. Behind it all, he's a terrific team person as well. You know, as I said, he's, uh, his captaincy and, and leadership for us here at UBB has, has been absolutely first-rate. Do you think that Mathieu Jalabert will have to curb his attacking instincts a little with France? I mean, you give him free reign, he's very good on the gain line, great footwork, great acceleration, a beautifully varied kicking game, great range of passing. And France are, as you rightly point out, France are a little bit more kick-orientated, particularly in their own half, whereas uh, when I watch Mathieu play for you, uh, he's like a, a lightning rod in attack at times. Yeah, I, th- I think there obviously will be a little bit of difference, and uh, you know the argument will be that there is a difference between international rugby and and uh, and the top fourteen or or, uh, or the Champions Cup. So it- it's difficult to say. Obviously, there is a change in in the French coaching setup. Uh, Laurent Leby has, has left. Patrick uh, Alterez has, has come in from from Perpignan. So it will be interesting to see if if there are some variances in 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 uh, in terms of how they play, or or if they stick with the similar template that they've had over the course of uh, of the last number of years. But I think the one thing about Matthew is uh, his ability to see space is 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 remarkable. Really, his ability to see it and 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 then have the ability to attack it quickly. Um, you know, he sees pictures, he processes them incredibly quickly, and you know, even as as simple as defenders, yeah, just making mistakes. You know, and and that's probably the. Yeah, it's probably the key in the modern game, isn't it? Like, you know, defensive organisation has got so good. Tackle completion rates are, are, are so high. Defensive organisation, as I mentioned, line speed, obviously, the pressure on players to make decisions quickly. I think that's the single biggest point of difference that Matthew has, his ability to process things and his ability to make those decisions. So I still think he'll, he'll back his instinct, but there probably is a level of maturity coming as well. Once it feels like he's been around for a long, long time, um, yeah, believe it or not, Matthew Jellybear was eligible to play in the under-26 nations in 2019. So I remember when the team was announced, being delighted that Matthew wasn't playing and uh, then coming up against Roman Intimac, who absolutely ripped us to pieces. So he's still incredibly young, you know. So I think there's a maturity coming into his game. And, and I think you, you're absolutely right, John, in what you say in terms of the lightning rod. But I think he has the ability to manage the game very effectively as well. I do think that, uh, that that's probably what we will see. I don't think there will be too much risk in their own end and, and uh, but equally I think if it's there he has the ability to take it You reminded me there actually about the point about the difference between international rugby and club rugby I mean I'm not sure if you've seen all the episodes of the of the Netflix doc the full contact but there's that brilliant scene where uh, Sean Edwards says in French Cognos of the ballon done not to come kick the f***ing ball simple I think that sums up more or less what, what we're talking about there but in terms of obviously you've got Plenty of other players uh, in that French backline. I actually listened to an interview you did recently, Noel, uh, where you kind of spoke about someone like Damien Pano and, and the superstar that he is and how 
you know, as a coach, there's only so much you can do in terms of teaching someone like that. You just almost need to create a system where he can thrive rather than necessarily overly coach a player like that. But in terms of your own coaching and working with someone like that, what have you learned from him and, and what he brings to the table? I stand by what I said there. You know, it's not about teaching him. You know, that, that you hear all these, you got to run straight. So like, did you tell Damien, you got to run straight, you can't run across the pitch. You know, how many times have we seen him run across the pitch and all of a sudden he, uh, I don't know how many times I've, I've been sitting there thinking, what are you doing? Ah, bravo, well done. There certainly is, is an element of that. So like, what have I learned from him? Ultimately, you've learned that you've got to try and get the best out of each individual player, and, but you've got to bring them together into some kind of a coherent system. It's not trying to stifle him. I think we use a phrase over here all the, all the time, which is uh, freedom with responsibility. That's what it is for, for the entire team. It, it's, it's freedom. It's freedom to play. It's freedom to play the pictures in front of us, but with responsibility that we're making decisions that are in the best interest of the team. I think the other thing as well, like with, with Damien, is he probably doesn't overthink it. He doesn't get um, too excited if he scores four tries. He doesn't get too caught up on it. If he doesn't score in the game, he doesn't get too caught up on it either. You know, for him, ultimately, it's about doing what he loves doing. And he's a special, uh, a special guy, I suppose, probably the best description for it. I see that you don't have too many grey hairs, so he mustn't have done too many bad things uh, while you've been watching as a coach. But uh, can you talk to us about Louis Bielbieri and uh, also Nicolas uh, Deporter, who you pointed out to me? And obviously I saw him play for the French under-20s last season, those two as young players, because you have a very successful track record uh, in terms of of developing young players you understand fundamentally and have shown it uh, in terms of coaching in, in obviously, Glenstall and Clongos and Ireland in schools, 19s, 20s, and charge the Leinster Academy the value of promoting young players and giving them opportunities, but also giving them skill sets to flourish. Yeah, and, and you could probably include Yura Morfana in in, uh, in that group as well, who, who is actually, yeah. you know, whilst, whilst people think that Yuram has is, is been around a long time, he, he's still only 23, you know, so an, an, an incredibly young player. And for me, has, has arguably been our most effective, consistent performer over uh, over the course of, of, of the last number of weeks, playing at both 12 and 13 and and, uh, and can do a job on uh, on the wing as well. So of those guys that you mentioned, I suppose what, what, I've, what I've encountered is just incredibly diligent, hard work, players who want to get better. That's probably, I don't know whether you want to call it the new generation of, of French player, but th- that's certainly what they are. You know, there's still uh, the, the flair, if you, if you want to call it that, or, or the ability to, to express themselves. But, you know, there are lots of similarities with, with young Irish players and, and uh, you know, the way they go about their business and understanding the process of getting better as well. So that's probably what, you know, what I've tried to to work with them most is just around that, you know, identifying yeah their point of strength, making sure that they look after that and mind that and, and keep building on that, build on the, the confidence a little bit, the resilience a little bit to, to deal with the setbacks as, as young people because that's the, the one guarantee, you know, the one guarantee is that everything is not going to work. Everything is not going to be perfect. You're going to make mistakes. Embracing that and, and, and understanding the value of that, I suppose, is, is probably what I would say, you know, and... You know, from the outset, Nico has, has, has been terrific playing at, at 12 and 13. And obviously he's benefited from having that sprinkling of experience around him. You know, there are other guys in the group as well. Someone like Roman Buras at, at fullback, who, who is, is very close to the French national setup. Pablo Alberti is similar. Ben Tapoy, very experienced, former Australian international, who's won Super Rugby title with the Reds, won the premiership with Harlequins. Uh, and, and then some more experienced French players as well. So f- for me, it's embracing all of that 
and, and trying to help the younger players to recognise some of the clues that the older guys are leaving behind. It's just ultimately trying to work it out. You know, that, that's, that's the way I see it. We're, we're trying to work it out together. And it's, it's understanding that, you know, there are things that Gary Ringrose did that helped him to, be, to become successful. But you cannot just take that and say, OK, this is the plan, uh, Nico. If you do everything here on this, ultimately you'll play 80 times for France. But for me, you know, someone like uh, Nicholas, uh, Urim, uh, Louis, you know, they have the ability to be mul- multiple, multiple caps for uh, for France. You know, you look at their age profile, you look at about how they go about their business, their level of consistent performance. I see no reason why they can't go on and be a significant thorn in in, uh, in everybody's side in, in the French national team for a number of years to come. Those two names, Louis Bielbihere and Nicolas Deporter, raise a really interesting point on the under-20 scene. Obviously, a scene that you know very well from, from your time coaching Ireland. And Nicolas was playing against Ireland in the under-20s World Cup final during the summer. Uh, and Louis was playing in the previous Six Nations. So these guys are literally fresh out of the system. And not only are they playing regular top four team they're in a France Six Nations squad and, and it looks like Louis got a really good st- chance of starting having started plenty during the World Cup other countries don't do that they don't bring through their talent as quickly I mean no you haven't been in France for very long but given what you know about the under 20 scene why do you think they are so good at bringing through these young guys so quickly there's some obvious reasons, you know, the most obvious being that there's 14 teams in the top 14 and, and there's another, you know, layer of outstanding teams in, in, in the Pro D2. So th- that is definitely one of the reasons, you know, and the reality in Ireland is you've got four professional teams and, and those four professional teams are, are occupied largely by lots of, of um, yeah, senior international players. And I think the change in the URC and, and the fact that there's less overlap between the Six Nations and the URC in many ways has been a little bit detrimental to development of young players and young players getting opportunities. Um, you know, I've, I've long been an advocate of the AIL and the importance of, of, of the AIL in, in terms of, of developing our young players. But to be honest with you, Nathan, it, it, it is a, a, as logistically simple as, as that. There are more opportunities here. Obviously, the French brought in uh, uh, the GIF rule where there was a premium on, on homegrown developed players which means basically in, in every top 14 game, uh, there are penalties if you have too many uh, non-French qualified players. Those reasons probably add up. I think across the board, the physical development has improved. When I was in Ireland, the work of, of all the academies and sub-academies was certainly getting to a stage where the players were more ready to train and, 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 and to play professional rugby uh, sooner. But ultimately, it is going to boil down to the opportunities and, uh, you know, finding that balance. There's more games here. You know, the reality in the top 14, there are 26 games. URC, there's, you know, 18 regular season games. You know, I can only speak about the, the culture at Bordeaux and, and, and with Yannick, but there's, there's a really positive mindset and, and, and mentality around our young players. I think it's a good player for young players to, to go to. You know, we've, we've got a very young number eight, Marco Gazzotti, who's a yeah, fantastic prospect. I call him Mini Kalen. There are so many similarities with with Caelan Doris. It, it's remarkable, really, and you, you know others as well, Pierre Boucheton and and, uh, and 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 so on. So I think that's that's really what it boils down to is the the opportunities that are here. There's a little bit of, of it has been created by uh, the French Federation. It does depend a little bit on the club as well, I think, and and, and the culture maybe there with with that. And, and uh, there's talent everywhere, you know. There's no doubt about that. And and I saw it in South Africa to a certain degree as well. Um, you know, obviously the Curry Cup, 
you know, they're trying to find the balance between, I think that Curry Cup will probably transition into a more development, uh, but you're fighting against tradition there because ultimately the Curry Cup was a competition where senior internationals faced off against each other in massive derbies and they've got to look at how that looks. And it's similar in New Zealand, you know, the, the Mitre 10 Cup that I, 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 I was lucky enough to be involved in for a period, I think is probably moving more towards that model of a development competition where younger players get their opportunity. So ultimately it's about... Yeah, the rugby unions having the foresight and, and the desire to create that environment where, where their young players can come true because if they're good enough, they're good enough. Can we talk to you about your, your favourite child or children from the 2019 Grand Slam winning side? There's a few of them involved in the Irish squad. I take massive pleasure in seeing, you know, we, we can just talk about the hookers in that group. It was obviously a very a very difficult season for, for lots of different reasons, but the hookers in that group, Ronan Kelleher, consistent Irish international, Dermot Byrne, who has, uh, you know, gone on and, 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 and had, a, had an excellent career at Munster and I think probably isn't too far away from, from being capped. Um, Dan Sheehan, you know, consistent Irish international who has, has performed week in, week out at the highest level. Owen Clark, uh, you know, obviously went away, went to Munster, went to Jersey Reds, now back in Munster and getting opportunities. And Dylan Tierney-Martin was the fifth hooker that played that year and, and uh, you know, was having a, a consistently excellent career with, uh, with Connacht. So it's a source of, of great interest and pride for me to see the boys go on and, and do well and, and continue to do well. And, and uh, you know, you, you look forward to the opportunities to catch up, not just with the guys that play for Ireland, but with all of them at different stages and, enjoy a moment reminiscing on on uh, on a journey that we shared together so i think you know you look at, at obviously the the likes of ron baird and, and craig casey and jack crowley i think in, in this current group but i'm delighted to see them go well i i, I think uh, they've got a, a a group of players now that that know their story they know what they're about i i think they've grown an awful lot as a, as a group and it'll be very exciting to see how they evolve a little bit now and, and obviously in, in life after Johnny and, and uh, yeah seeing you know Jack Crowley and Harry were, were two of the tens obviously that, that, um, that we had with the 20s and, and, and see how they bring their uh, yeah their personality and, and, uh, and, and their game to the next level so I look back on, on, on that period with uh, yeah with enormous fondness but equally um I think we mentioned the, the Klongos from, from the very outset. You know, I'd still be in touch with lots of the guys that, that we were involved with. And that's probably the, the, the beauty of it for me, to be honest. So you'd be able to sit back and, and relax, watch Matthew Jalabert and Jack Crowley lead their respective teams. It's a complicated one, isn't it? Yeah, I certainly want, yeah. The, uh, I want the French backs to play well. I've loved working with the boys here, you know, um, and, and uh, yeah, we've, we've got a really, really good group. So it's certainly going to be uh, a little bit conflicting watching them. You know, you work day in, day out with people and, and obviously played a number of games. So I certainly want them to play well. Uh, I don't know what, uh, what the heart is going to say when it really comes down to it, you know, because obviously that's, that's where we're from. But it, it, it certainly will be, uh, yeah, it will be a fascinating challenge. I, I think there are two teams that, you know, have a different approach. I, I think the Marseille piece probably adds another dimension to it you know everything that I've heard about Marseille kind of indicates that it's going to be a pretty special atmosphere I think the Friday night at nine o'clock adds another another layer as well and and then I think that the last piece probably is is you've two teams who probably coming off regret whatever way you know the French are certainly talking very openly about it um, you know, I think Ireland have, have probably kind of said that they've moved on and, and that they're focused on on this game on on uh, on its own merits. But it's going to be absolutely fascinating. And, and uh, if you can't get excited about this game, then uh, I think rugby's not for you, or sports not for you, for that matter. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much, uh, Noel, for your time. Um, some really interesting insight there, and just wish you wish you all the best for the for the rest of the season. Thank you for joining us. No, thanks very much for having me on, guys. And uh, yeah, best of luck. 
We'll leave it there. My thanks to John, Gordon, and of course, Noel McNamara. We'll be back on Thursday, where we hear from Irish Times rugby correspondent Jerry Thornley, who's at the Ireland training camp in Portugal. Our thanks also to our sponsor, Nifty Business. Subscribe to The Counter Rock wherever you get your podcasts.